Uh, I, I'm a 90s kid. Uh, I won't apologize for that. It was a great time to grow up. And uh, one of the shows that I watched out of fear of getting made fun of by my brothers and fear because it terrified me was a show on Nickelodeon, which tells you I'm a lightweight. Uh, it's called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Anybody, anybody remember that show? Yeah. It terrified me. Even, even the intro uh, terrified me. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but, but hey, this, this is a safe place, right? Right? Yeah, for, you know, for us to make fun of the pastor. But hey, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I sometimes can't watch scary movies. I, you know, my wife will attest to that. I got to keep the blanket over my face, and, but, but with one eye open because I'm still interested, or, or, or at least I can hand, like if someone brings it up, at least I have something to contribute to the conversation, right? My dad was uh, the father of the year. <laughs> uh, my mom was a waitress at Ground Round. Uh, so I don't know if that restaurant even exists anymore in Cincinnati. And she would uh, she'd work Friday and Saturday nights at Ground Round to make some extra money for our family. And when my mom left, as soon as the door shut, my dad did two things. He, he ordered pizza, <laughs> and then he let us watch Tales from the Crypt. Anybody remember that show? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Bunch of sinners. No, I'm kidding. Um, and I, I couldn't handle that show. That was like a level up from, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark, right? Because the, the host of the show was this, like, dead guy, skeleton, who needed a haircut, or probably, you know, I won't say that because I don't want to offend any haircut places around town. Uh, but, he, you know, it, just, it was just terrifying. And, and I couldn't, I could barely manage to get through the beginning of that, right? Like, there's just something different about scary, and darkness isn't there. Like, like as, as children, uh, as my, my parents said that, you know, you have to be home, uh, you know, you have to be home before it gets dark outside. Uh, there are parts of Cincinnati that you did not go to uh, growing up uh, when it was dark outside. And so I, I think as children, we're told to avoid darkness, and, and, and probably for good measure, right? Like, my mom would probably get arrested if she let her boy walk all the way from College Hill to downtown Cincinnati at two in the morning. Like, there's probably good reason why I wasn't allowed to do that. But I think at a young age, we're, we're really told to avoid or maybe, maybe at the very least, be suspicious about dark things. And so today we're going to talk about darkness, and we're going to talk about uh, the way of impact. Uh, last weekend, Pastor Seth talked about the way of the kingdom. Uh, we, we, we just kicked off a 12-week series entitled The Way, and we created this little booklet journal through the Gospel of Mark written by men and women of this church and other uh, RHM pastors around the area. And if you've not picked it up, I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's, we're just asking for a $10 donation. If you don't have it on you, we'll, we'll give it to you, and we'll trust you to give us the 10 bucks. or if you don't have it, just, just take it. It's, it's, it's a gift. Because we want, we want to look at the life of Jesus. And before uh, a book was written called Acts, which is after Jesus' life, uh, in Acts, the word Christian appears for the first time. But before the word Christian appears, people that followed Jesus were known as followers of the way. And so we're, entitled, we're calling this series The Way because we want to know what is the way of Jesus. And, and for Jesus, what is his way of impact? And believe it or not, it's not to avoid darkness. <laughs> it's actually to go right into it. The way of impact leads into darkness. So everything your mama told you to avoid, Jesus says that's where we're going, right? Jesus would make a terrible Sunday school teacher. 
He would get so many emails from moms. What are you telling my kid to go to the dark parts of the city? Right? But yet, this is where the kingdom takes us if we're willing to trust and follow. Uh, Jesus says it this way in Mark 4, 21 through 23. Well, he asks this question. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it, under, put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is kind of giving his like Chip and Joanna Gaines commentary about, thank you, that one person, first century, <laughs> first century living. If there isn't um, electricity in the first century, there's not central heating and air in the first century, that might be a surprise. Uh, and so lamps were lit through olive oil. And Jesus said, why would you light a lamp or, li or light something in your house to go to the kitchen to get a snack and then blow it out and, and it's pitch black dark, you can't even see your hand in front of you. Why would you blow it out and you can't even find your way back up to your bedroom? Now, if you remember, which kudos to you, I don't know if I would, but if you remember during our Christmas series, uh, a first century home was more like a loft. So you're climbing up this ladder to get to your bedroom upstairs in complete darkness. I think Jesus um, is doing, he's always doing more things in the time we have uh, to talk about. But one of the things that I think he's doing is he's challenging uh, our perception of darkness, right? And so it's easy for us to think that darkness is a geographical location, which it is. For some of us, we think darkness is a third world country, uh, a complete 24-hour flight, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, to another part of the world. It's in the slums of Kenya, right? It's in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, to be specific. That's where I was two weeks ago. Uh, it, it dar darkness is... Um, you know, it, it darkness is when there's not even plumbing that the community has to make a makeshift bathroom area and locals have to pay to use the restroom to incentivize other locals, usually the men of the community, to clean it. it dar darkness looks like after a political vote, instead of tearing each other up on Facebook, which is wh what we do in America, there's an all-out war and children lose their lives. Uh, over the way an election goes in Kenya. Yeah, sure, darkness is over there. And it's easy for us to say darkness is over there because like judging people, it helps us to other, otherize, is that right, otherize them? And so like I have a sock drawer, I have a t-shirt drawer, and socks go in there and I can shut it and walk away, right? And we do that with people. Oh, you're this category. Oh, you fit right here into my thinking. I'm going to shove you and put you away, and now I can move on. Feeling better about myself or maybe even indifferent. But, 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 but Jesus will say <laughs> that darkness is also in well-kept lawns and gated communities where families make 80 to $200,000 in New England. It's not just over there, is it? It's here, too. I mean, statistically, we're no, Christians are no better at figuring out marriage than non-Christians. How's our, <coughs> how's our mental health? Like, why, why does it seem like there's so many broken relationships in your, in your circle of friends and family? 
See, we don't like to talk about that stuff uh, because I think what we would prefer is a commercial of an African child at two in the morning that needs food, and when we're uncomfortable, we hit the button to move to the next channel. But, but we know and we resonate that there is darkness even in the midst of us which is why I think Jesus last weekend through Seth said the kingdom of God isn't here or there. It's everywhere. It's in our midst. It's even within us. It's this constant spiritual battle. And Jesus is saying, he will say later in the sermon that I'm the light of the world. Like the, 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 we're not talking about a lamp in your, in your house, Chip and Joanna. We're talking about what do you do with me in your relationships? What do you do with me in your conversations? Right, Because Jesus said, you wouldn't light a lamp in your house and put it under your bed. Maybe your middle school son would accidentally do that. Right? I've got love for you if you're in middle school. I was there. Right? Th- that would be ridiculous because your house would burn down. You're not going to put a bowl over it and cover it because you need light to illuminate your first century dark home. And yet, Jesus is asking us, do we do that same thing in our relationships? D- do we help people navigate difficult conversations when we're having coffee with them and we sense the spirit moving in us that, okay, now is when I need to talk about my relationship with Jesus. And then we sort of buckle. I've been there. I've been there and I know you've been there. I've also not been there and I did share Jesus with a friend, um, sometimes for salvation purposes, but also sometimes for just love and encouragement. And Jesus says the way of impact actually isn't to retreat from darkness, but to actually move right into the places our moms and dads told us to avoid. Come to find out, those aren't just local government's problems. They're the kingdom of God kind of problems. And so what I'm excited to do uh, in this portion of the sermon, uh, I've invited three groups of people uh, to come up for a little bit of Q&A. We sent two groups on international trips uh, to Kenya and El Salvador. And I've also invited Eric Lee, the executive director for uh, RHM, Restoration House Ministries, who uh, RHM planted RCC, and they exist to plant other Christian churches throughout New England. And so I want to invite them up to share uh, their experience about this idea of light and darkness, both locally in our backyard and globally around the world. So would you give them a hand as they come? Look at this. Look at this. Who needs CrossFit? All right. So glad to have you guys here. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, just like the first service, uh, grab the mic, say your name and what country uh, you just came from, and that'd be great. Yep, it's on. Uh, All right, I guess we'll start here. Um, So my name is Trevor Glines. Um, um, So I went to Kenya um, with Missions of Hope International, and yeah. Uh, my name is Sue Glines, and I'm on the Global Missions team, and I went to El Salvador with these two clowns. <laughs> wow, getting, getting serious in the second service. Uh, All right. I'm Caleb Harmon. I also went to El Salvador with these two clowns. Um, <laughs> we, we were visiting an organization called Enlace, and they kind of, uh, their MO was to kind of 25 years ago try to bridge the gap between community and church in El Salvador. Hi, I'm Gail Martin, and uh, (laughs) he laughed at me. That's my name. Um, And my husband and I uh, lead the global outreach uh, missions team here, and um, 
This was our first trip. It was an exploratory trip to Anlase in El Salvador. And uh, so it seems weird to not be talking about missions of hope. But um, <laughs> we went to a different mission, which is just awesome. Great. Pass it down here. So the, the wise sage. Sure. My name's Eric Lee. I am the executive director of Restoration House Ministries. And I get the privilege of visiting with and planting churches in all six New England states. Woohoo! Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, what um, what would you guys and gals say was your your biggest takeaway or your God moment from uh, from your trips, uh, your global trips? All right, so I'll start. Um, so, I think for me, um, since I've never been out of the country, so going to Kenya was a big step. Um, I think you look at it. I think it's like a different world over there. They all mm. have different problems, different issues, different yep. people. And if you throw some money at it, it'll fix it. Um, but I think going <laughs> yeah. there, um, it's a little different because you see that they all have the same struggles as us. Uh, there's kids, adults. They all struggle with the same stuff, mental issues. you got physical issues, uh, money. There's just so many issues um, over there. Yeah. All right, so... I see the biggest thing for me is that we all have the same struggles, even though they're way over there. Um, and yes, yeah, so it doesn't make a difference on whether you're here or there, but going there made a big impact on me in that way. Awesome. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, to put, to really put on one thing that impacted me, I, I, coming back from the trip, it was, it was eye-opening, and um, it was so many things that impacted me. But I, I think one of the biggest things coming out of there was, um, and I obviously shared this in the first service, we'll do it again, but... Um, we, we visited three different churches in El Salvador, and um, the first church we visited, there was just one guy, man, he just had this, this glow and this perpetual smile on him that was from ear to ear um, when we were talking with him, and it, was, it, it never left, it never left. So you could tell that the, he was all in, he was all in, <laughs> and um, <laughs> the, uh, but the the, the attitude that he had resonated through the rest of the communities we visited, and um, they just, you know, you, you're, you're walking, that you, if you've never visited a third world country, you have no idea. We can watch it on TV, mm. but until you've experienced it firsthand, you just, you, you have no idea. Uh, trash running down the streets, um, uh, people, th 14 people on a motorcycle, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wild dogs everywhere, so yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and, you know, in the fact that everybody was just happy. There was this joy that God has brought them. It was just, mm. uh, it, was, it was remarkable to see. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so a question about darkness being over, over there, sort of a two-in-one. Um, where, where did you, if, if at all, where did you see darkness uh, uh, on your trips? And then a follow-up question is, is darkness our problem? in the U.S.? Like, is that the Christian church's problem in the U.S. To, to love those people, or is that local government's problem to figure it out? So, I might give it a little bit different twist here. Yeah, go ahead. What I saw for the darkness was within the Christian community, mm. and I think that's true here as well sure. as it was over there. Sure. The story between the three churches was the same. Each of the pastors was, got the vision for stepping outside the four walls of the church and ministering with the community. Not just for the community, but with the community. Love it. Unheard of. They received a lot of flack 
from the other local churches. Mm -hmm. And that's where I saw the darkness, in oh, the wow. ignorance within our own selves as believers. Come on. And I don't think it's any different here. I think as you do the radical thing, as you walk like Jesus walked, other churches in the area are going to question it and say, what are you doing? Yep. And that's what happened there. Wow. And yet they pressed forward, and they were the light in the darkness, and now others are coming on board, others are recognizing it and seeing the vision. And mm. yeah, so that's seeing awesome. the light step into that darkness, to that's me, awesome. was the biggest thing. Yeah, great. Uh, so one uh, final question for, for you guys, uh, the global trips, would be, um, you know, so we have a lot of, uh, maybe a lot, it could be subjective, but we, we have some folks thinking about going on a mission trip. And with that, there's fear, especially when you say the word Africa, right? Uh, th there's, there's fear and reluctancy there. Uh, there's fear with uh, flying for 24 hours straight, you know, just to get there. I had that. Um, what, why, why would anybody take a week off of work and waste, right, such an American, waste their vacation, raise their own support to go to a third world country? What, like, just talk about why that, why that matters uh, versus, you know, you're not doing a charity work for them, but you're, you're linking arms with the gospel. Um, so, yeah, I think I said enough. Oh, I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have three hours? Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the biggest part for each of us that we can take away from it is it's an opportunity to say to God, what's my role in this? Whether mm. it's global or with, it, with Restoration House, with church planting, in churches that, you know, we know a lot of our sister churches and there's more coming, but what's my part? Because we can stay within these walls, mm. and we can preach to each other. Mm. And we can stay in our small groups, and we can preach to each other. Come on. But how are we going to go outside these walls? Yeah. And it looks different for every person. Mm. Not everybody here is going to go to Kenya <laughs> or to El Salvador. But anybody can go to one of the new Restoration House churches as they start and help out there. And what it causes us all to do, I think, and uh, my husband and I experienced this, um, and it's, it's something you, you crave after that, is stretching yourself and really relying on God. And I think so many of us Christians never really know what it's like to rely on God. It's relying mm. on him when it doesn't make any sense to rely on him. Mm. To say anybody here in this room would understand if I didn't do what God was telling me to do right now, but I'm going to do it anyways. And we've experienced that twice, once with the loss of our son, recently with our daughter in the hospital as I left with pneumonia. And God doesn't change his mind just because it gets tough. He called you. And it's whether we're going to step up to that calling or if we're going to stay in our own comfort zone. And I think going to these faraway places allows us to have that concentrated time with God and to strip us down and say, you know what, God, I want to go deeper with you. Mm. And so that's, I think, my challenge, whether it's, and some people here are like, I can't travel. It's okay. Mm -hmm. We've got Restoration House that has churches starting, and they're starting with 10 people. They need somebody to do nursery. <laughs> they need somebody to take up offering. They need, Critical the, mass. you know, they need all those things. Yeah. So there's a place for everybody in ministry. Awesome. And it will change your relationship with God. And I think that's the main reason for it. Well said. Yeah, thank you.
Uh, all right, Eric, I've got a few questions for you, for our new folks to get to know you. Why do we need new churches? <laughs> to ask the church yes, to come Yes, thanks for asking that one. <laughs> well, you know, the, the global stats is that even the most uh, conservative stats say that 95% of the people in New England don't have a church home or a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. That's over 15 million of our neighbors, right? Yeah. And so that's the number one, and that's where the darkness begins. But, mm. you know, in history, 200-plus years ago, Boston was called the city on the hill that he just preached about. Right, right. As if the whole, you know, founded on its religious freedoms, and yet we've lost our way. Mm-hmm. And so we need churches because f- for so many reasons. Yeah. But here in New England, uh, the stats tell us that that six of our New England cities are numbers one through six and the least religious, the least Bible minded, the most de-churched mm-hmm. and the most unchurched areas of the United States. Wow. And so I don't know if you know it, but we live in a dark spiritual region. But guess what? We know where the light switches are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, We're turning on the light. <laughs> what? Uh, why? Um, why? Statistically, why are new churches more effective of reaching new people than established churches? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And there's again been studies done on this. There was one I read: sixteen hundred churches around America, all denominations, were studied, and they proved that uh, for number one is that they reach more millennials, people mm. under the age of thirty-five. Uh, for example, a lot of our support base from the Midwest, they're in churches that are aging. They're in plateau or in decline, mm. and they're not reaching the next generation. Mm. And so that's alarming uh, you know, for their churches. It's right. alarming for us, for those of us receiving support. Sure. But that's true everywhere. So they're reaching younger people. Resources are going further. Uh, startup costs, cost per person in a church in a new church plant, are a lot less than they are in an existing church. Yeah. I've been a part of three great churches in three regions of the country, but we had a huge mortgage in each mm-hmm. one of those and operating costs and all of those things to run those organizations. That's right. So we try to stay lean and mean in this business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also because uh, more, more volunteers, people, they come in here and I challenged the first service today and said, you might look around and think it looks like a well-oiled machine and there's no room or need for you. <laughs> That's all smoke and mirrors. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we, 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 it takes a village. We need everyone to serve. And in new churches, from the day one, the yeah. DNA is uh, somebody's got to set up the chairs. That's somebody's right. got to you know, watch the kids. Someone's got to set up and play and lead the worship. And it's all hands on deck. And, and so in churches, we see that. So yeah. there's a number of reasons, but better utilization of resources, reaching the young people, yeah. uh, making it go further. Those are the reasons why uh, that we think that's the way to reach uh, churches here in New England. Mm-hmm. They tell me that 10 churches of 100 over five years will do more in terms of community impact, uh, volunteerism, outreach mm-hmm. than one church of 1,000. And think about, wow. it, you know, if yeah. you've ever been in a big school or you've been a part of a big company or you've lived in a big house, uh, just think of 10 smaller houses. Mm. And it's like your kids when they grow up and they go out and mm. they do more things. Wow, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, so what? So we're an established church planted by RHM 19 years ago. In your line of work, how does existing churches, planting churches, Gale reference, sending people to plant churches. How, how does church planting put gasoline on the fire of existing churches and reignites or lights their passion for uh, church planting here in New England? 
I, I think, and, and I think you alluded to it, you know, we see, uh, sadly, some apathy in the church, mm. that we have this tendency to compete rather than cooperate. And what I'm seeing is a difference here in New England among our 24 existing churches. Again, we hope to do 50 more new works in the next 15 years. But when one of those churches wins, we all win. That's right. And we need to celebrate what God is doing in each context. Can I just tell you, there's not another thing like Camp Create in New England. In fact, I don't know of anything quite like it in America. Hmm. But it's a unique outreach opportunity that you guys have tapped into and has been tremendous in terms of fingers into your community. When we share those ideas, when we share those resources, and we use them all around this region, you don't think that would work in Rhode Island? <laughs> you don't think that would work in Maine? I do. Yeah. And so these, part of my job is sharing the stories and the things that God is doing and that are working in yeah. all contexts. Yep. And we'll try anything to reach one. That's right. right. At least all once things, we'll try it. By all <laughs> means, so that we might save some. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you guys. Give these guys a hand. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Eric and uh, the two teams that went on global trips will be available up here after service. Would love for you to ask them any questions and just excited about the potential of the creativity. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you think about church work in New England. I mean, this is a great place to live. I mean, the, f the future is, is wide open for us. Uh, the reason why Jesus said, <laughs> don't put the candle under the bed is because in John 8, Jesus said this. He made a claim to divinity. I'm not just the light of the kitchen. Jesus says in 8, John 8, 12, I'm actually the light of the world. Like, I'm, I'm actually here to illuminate what's been hiding in darkness, whether that's the slums of Kenya or the backyards of New England, whatever that is and however that looks like, my, my mission is to bring healing and to turn on the lights and to say it's okay to come out uh, of darkness. The, the question that Jesus is asking, and hopefully you heard some of the answers through the conversations, is what are we going to do with that light? Like have we, especially men, men have a harder time emotionally with Jesus and emotionally with religion in general, but there comes a time where uh, if we have it settled within our bones that we believe who Jesus actually is and we're trying to follow him, then why in the world would we ever keep him hidden under a bowl? I want to share with you a few, uh, a few photos uh, that, that we took from Kenya. Uh, the first one is simply just a mission and vision of Kenya, I, uh, or of Mohi, I'm sorry, Missions of Hope International. This is on the wall of the uh, school that we support that you raised money for a few years ago. Uh, they're actually already at capacity and would love more money from you guys uh, to, to reach more students. Um, and uh, the reason why I took that photo is I wanted you to see that, that these are real-life people. The, the, the kids that we support, I've got a photo of Trevor uh, giving a gift from one of the children that you supported. It isn't like because we should, it's not Christian charity. This is the gospel. We care more, we care as much as that little, about that little boy, at least we should, as we do our own children. That, that the gospel is our responsibility to take to our backyard and a cookout with some friends and also around the world. Uh, I took this photo uh, because of the story behind it. Um, the tall old white guy, Dick Alexander, was our trip leader. I've known Dick for years. He grew up in Cincinnati, or he was a pastor at the church 
that I lived close to in Cincinnati. I didn't go to his church, but I knew him. That's what I'm trying to say. He was our leader, and he told us about how this school, like when he's pointing, he's telling this story I'm about to tell you. This school was built out of a need from the community. In Kenya, when there's, um, when there's a, an election year, uh, and it doesn't go the way of some tribes that how they want to go. It, it's political unrest and war and violence break out, right? And I'm not joking. In America, we passively, aggressively get on Facebook and do this to each other. But people in Kenya lose their lives. And there was a father uh, who knocked on the door of Mohi's headquarters, Mission of Hope International, and said, I want a school in my community because his little boy, who was eight years old, went to the market that afternoon when school was in session, and because he stole a little bag or a snack of something, when the police came, they took a shoot first, ask later, uh, because when you're eight, you can do a lot of damage, I guess, and they put 15 bullets in that little boy's body, and the father went up to Missions of Hope International and said, I need one of your schools in my community. Now, men, listen, this is a guy that's not a Jesus follower. He may or may not be religious. He may be like any other American dad or guy. He's just trying to make sense of it all. If religion works for him, sure, he might go to church, but he could not deny the impact that Mohi had in their communities through the slums of Kenya. Mohi was started about 19, 20 years ago with 50 or so kids, and now they're close to breaking the 20,000 barrier of students in their school system. And this is a photo, I, I peeked in, the teacher was very nice. They were supposed to be learning and I peeked in my big head, I was like, hey! And then in half a second, I snapped this photo. But, but this, is what, like, this is what it looks like to take light into dark places. And here, for us, one of the ways it looks like to take light into dark places is to start new churches. And I, I, the Spirit's asking me to say this, the Holy Spirit, uh, so I'll say it. Uh, when I was preparing this message, this question or statement came to my mind that we often equate with darkness with like the less fortunate, right? And then we wonder how these kids, so are, why are they so filled with joy? The Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that you'll read about in the book of Galatians, they're not tied to economics because they're really poor and they have all of the fruits of the Spirit. America is very rich but I don't know <laughs> if we have that much joy. I, I hope we do. I, I don't know. And so because darkness can help us otherwise, otherize people, like it's in another place, the fruit of the Spirit is not bound by economics. It's not bound by good or political government entities. The fruit of the Spirit is bound by the Holy Spirit. And Christians who are followers of the way are willing to share that. So yes, the way of impact leads into darkness, and I want to close with this. The way of impact fills up and doesn't beg. Mark 4.24, that's confusing, but it'll make sense in a second. And Jesus says this, consider yourself, consider carefully what you hear. In other words, Jesus saying, pay attention. Don't just take what I say at face value and just follow along because it's a trend. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So you will, give mo you will get more, even more. Whoever has, uh, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have uh, even what they have will be taken away from them. And so here's the deal, friends. Jesus is a great uh, TED Talk teacher. Uh, he's got great illustrations. So the one illustration says, 
I'm the light of the world. Don't snuff me out. And then he talks about, essentially, there are two glasses. And one of the glasses is basically filled with water, right? And then he gives this teaching, and he says, he says to this group of people, this church, this Christian, these followers away, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And Jesus says, I'm going to even give you more. And we go, wait a minute, Jesus, that's not, like, I teach my kids to share their stuff. What about this empty glass? <sighs> this is the hard part, friends. The reason why Jesus says this glass is empty, or if it had something in it, it'll be depleted, is because this represents a church that's not about the way of impact. This represents a church that's all about holy huddles, maintaining, playing it safe. This church is full, filled with outfielders, baseball term. You know, you know what an outfielder does? When they hear the crack of the back, it's two steps back. This church is filled with infielders. Crack of the back, they go charging into the ball. They go charging into the darkness. And the reason why this church is not filled up, the reason why this church never sees a movement of God, like I'm not talking about, oh, we had three baptisms this year. Let's pat ourselves on the back. The reason why they never see a movement of God is because their cup is empty. Not because Jesus is mean and angry. It's because they don't want to or even know to ask to have it filled up. So why would Jesus give a glass to a church that are poor stewards, they have no prayer life, they don't trust Jesus for anything, why would Jesus, who has much water left over, give it to an empty vase, and they're going to do nothing with it? That's why Jesus says, I'm about overflow. I'm about spilling over to where you're going to try to manage the movement of God, but I just want you to enjoy it, right? Don't, don't put your toes in the water, jump right in. You see, this kind of church doesn't even know to beg for God, doesn't even know to beg for God's mercy or to beg for the movement of God. But this is a church that when they pray, they expect God to show up. They expect God to do things because they're not willing to hide the light of Christ. This, my friends, is the way of impact. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for uh, this opportunity to share your word. Thank you for the men and women that uh, had the opportunity to travel. We thank you for, uh, for Eric and for his willingness to share what RHM is uh, all about and what they're doing in our community. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that, if, if I pray that if this message was helpful in any way, that we would just take one next step. Like, what's one conversation, one coffee meeting, one meal, one, one, one co uh, conversation at the water cooler at work that I could bring the light of Christ to? And God, we're guilty of putting you under our insecurities and not bringing you up in conversation. I'm guilty of it. Our church is guilty of it. And for that, we repent. But may, be, may this day be a day where we can move forward and be a church of impact that doesn't run away from darkness, as good parenting might teach us, but moves directly into it as the kingdom of God teaches us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.